0: as we read the scriptures together, 1 Timothy chapter 3. And um, also, uh, I think uh, if you are a regular around here, there's a good chance that you've been attacked by a teenager to buy some coffee. And uh, if, if you haven't bought any yet, buy some. It'll send... Listen, here's what it's going to. It's a good cause. We get rid of the teenagers for a week. Right? And they go to some... I say we. I'm not. I go with them. So pray for me, but you guys get rid of him for a week, but uh, all joking aside, uh, they're raising money to go to summer camp, so if you can uh, spare the money, do so to be going to a good cause. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to start reading in uh, verse number 1. Verse number 1, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth the good work. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, the word bishop uh, is, uh, simply means an overseer, it is not necessarily a caste system as you have in the Roman church, necessarily, where there's the priest and then the bishop and then the archbishop. A bishop, biblically in New Testament times, that was a term used for those that were pastors or elders, leaders in the church, if you will. All right? Uh, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, not sinless. There's a difference. There is no bishop on this earth that is sinless, all right? Uh, blameless, the husband of one wife vigilant you say why who wants more than one (laughs) one is enough gentlemen amen amen all right the husband of one wife vigilant sober of good behavior that's questionable given a hospitality apt to teach he needs to know the bible he's really funny great does he know the bible well i really like him wonderful does he know the bible does he know the book can he teach you from the word of god not given to wine, no striker. I mean, he doesn't get in fights all the time. Not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient. Not a brawler, not covetous. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? You see the analogy, if you can't take care of things at home, you have no business coming here and going, let, 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 let me help lead the church. God is a God, listen this very carefully, God's a God of order and structure. And when things are not in order, God goes, let's go back to square number one. All right? Uh, look, if you would, at verse number six. Not a novice. In other words, not someone that's new at this. Uh, why? Because someone that hasn't been tested will more than likely uh, gravitate toward the idea that being a pastor and an overseer is all about power and authority. And I tell people what to do and they listen. That's the wrong way to look at this. The role of a pastor is to be a, a, a spiritually speaking, emotionally speaking, a washer of feet, a servant of servants, all right? Notice what it says here in verse 6, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. Do you realize it is important for a pastor to have a good testimony, not just inside these four walls, but out there as well? Listen, if I'm telling you that you ought to be honest in business and then you realize that, man, this guy's a shyster in business and nobody wants to work with him in the community, that that should be a red flag in your mind, all right? Uh, uh, Notice, if you would, at uh, verse number 8. Likewise, must the deacons be grave? That does not mean in the grave that means that they have an air of sobriety about them all right not double-tongued not hypocrites not given to much wine not greedy of filthy lucre holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience in a lot of churches a deacon is a business guy uh, that knows how to how to run people let me tell you that's not what a deacon is in the bible A deacon in the Bible is a servant for, uh, if you will, a bridge between the pastor and the people. And, And if you go back to Acts 6, we won't do that tonight, you learn about the office of a deacon, where it kind of first started. There was a need within the church to wait on tables. That means to visit people to make sure people are okay, take care of the needs of the church. Why? So that the preacher could focus on the ministry of the Word of God and prayer. And when the preacher is running around trying to make everybody happy, he's not in the book studying, he's got nothing to feed the flock of God. <laughs> and, and so that, that's what deacons are for. Uh, notice, if you would, though, in both of these situations, these are physical offices. You say, why? Because a pastor is something that's attached to a local church. A deacon is someone that's attached to a local church. Uh, notice the qualifications uh, for the, the, the deacon's wives, if you will, uh, in verse number 12. All right, the, the, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, uh, ruling their own children, their own houses well. I look back at verse 11. E- even so must their wives be grave, not slanderous, sober, faithful in all things. Now, all that said, I want you to skip down and look at verse 15. And the reason I want to show you verse 15 after reading all of that is simply this. Uh, there are a lot of people that look at verse 15 and they go, well, that's just a reference to the body of Christ. Here's the issue with that. Who was here during a discipleship class on Sunday, this, this uh, Sunday afternoon? Remember one of the, the rules of Bible study was the rule of context. And you, it, it, a, a, the, the old saying is this, a text without context is just a pretext. Right. You can make the Bible say anything if you don't look at who is talking what they're talking about, and the verses prior to a particular verse will tell you a lot about that verse. And so in verse 15, I want you to understand what you're reading about is about the local church. Look what it says in verse 15. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the what? Which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Brother Tim, if you'd ask God to bless the word. Amen. Amen. BC, if you would. Now I've got I've got some things on the board here. We're not gonna be uh stuck on the board too much tonight, but hey see we're gonna move this just right here, okay? Um but I wanna show you there's a difference between a local church and the body of Christ. I know, I know for some of you you've heard this, you know this, you could teach this, but some don't know this. And so in a church like this, what you have to learn to do is if you've been through before, just nod your head and say amen. All right, and go, all right, praise God. Well, if you haven't, I hope you learned something, but understand that there's a difference between a local assembly of people, all right? The the, the Greek word is ekklesi. You say, what does that mean? Well, I'm not going to go to the original Greek. I'm going to go to the original Spanish. How about that? All right, iglesia for you Spanish speakers. What is that? It's a church, and it's not a reference to so much the building, but the assembly of the people, And God uses that word church oftentimes in the Bible sometimes to refer to even a nation that was assembled. All right, he talks about in in, in Acts chapter seven where Stephen talks about the church that was in the wilderness. You say, what is that? It was an assembly of people that were physically gathered trying to follow God. That was Old Testament. Here we are in the New Testament. We are a New Testament uh, local church. You say, what is that? A local assembly of people. That is different than the body of Christ you say what is the body of christ well if you're not saved you're not in it right. and if you are saved the bible says you were spiritually baptized by the spirit of god first corinthians 12 into that body the moment that you were saved all right the moment you're saved what god does is he puts you in the spirit and puts the spirit of god into you and he says okay now you are attached to my body you are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh if you're saved that's you you are the body of christ all right, now whether you are in this church or not, the brethren at Calvary Chapel uh, listen, if someone saved at the Lutheran Church, Presbyterian Church, it doesn't matter the denomination. If you are a born again child of God, you are part of the body of Christ. All right, there's no denominational uh, uh, monopoly on that. Having said that, this is something that is a spiritual body, this is a physical gathering, this is a heavenly body, this is an earthly body right? Uh, Here you have bishops and deacons that that are told to lead within the church and serve within the church. But listen, if you're saved, you are a priesthood of believers because it doesn't matter whether you're a a man or a woman. Uh, In the local church, a bishop should be a man, the husband of one wife. In the body of Christ, Galatians, there's neither male nor female. Do you see the difference? One is spiritual and one is physical. One is visible right here. One is invisible. I cannot look at the body of Christ. You say, why? It's all over the world. (laughs) And some of them are in heaven as well. But one day we'll be gathered together as one. Amen. Uh, Other sheep, Jesus says, that I have that are not of this fold, I will gather them as well. John chapter 10. All right. So there's a difference between these two things. So the the, the question that that bears, uh, I think, asking is this. When Paul talks about the house of God, is he talking about the household of God, the family of God, all born-again believers, or is he talking about this? I'm going to submit to you tonight, he's talking about this, and here's why. Everything up to this point in verse 15 is about the local church. It would make no sense whatsoever for God to break rank from everything that's in that passage in the context and go, now we're talking about the body of Christ. You say, what does that mean? Well, he uses the term... The house of God. Now, let me be very clear with you, lest you think that I'm about to tell you that the stucco and the 80s, uh, you know. Uh, whatever you call the the fake tile the the ceiling tiles uh, and and the the fluorescent lights and 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 the trees here that obviously are real real trees you know and 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 the chair that this is the, the 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 house of god no no this is not the house of god is a reference to something much deeper than that but it is still a reference to the local church in the context of 1 Timothy 3 go to Genesis chapter 28 in your bible midweek bible all right, there we go. All right, so, so Genesis chapter 28, go there, and what you're going to find is a man named Jacob, also known as Israel in your Bible. That's the, the man, the namesake of the nation of Israel comes from the man Jacob, who God eventually changes his name to Israel. Uh, but look at Genesis 28. You see, what's going on? Well, he's running from his brother, running from his family, running from his problems. You say, why? Because that's kind of what the flesh does. And instead of looking in the mirror and going, I made a mess of things, I need to stay here and fix it. Let me just run away in hopes that I can fix the problem some other way. Let me just say this right now. There is a time to withdraw yourself, and I want to be clear about that. However, I think a lot of Christians spend a lot of their life running from their problems, hoping if I just go there, it'll be better. You still take you wherever you go. All right, your flesh follows you. And so you know what Jacob has to learn the hard way? He has to learn that lesson. Uh, in Genesis 28, something happens to Jacob that's never happened before. He has an encounter directly with God. Now, now understand this, Jacob knew about God. You see, his father Isaac told him about God. And, and, and Isaac told him about the, the journeys of Abraham, which would have been Jacob's grandfather, and what God did for Abraham. But Jacob did not yet know the Lord himself. Look at Genesis chapter 28, uh, look at verse number 17, I mean, go back to verse 16, and Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, surely the Lord is in this what?" and I knew it not, you know how many times people come to church and they don't even realize what God's doing in their life, and they don't realize what's going on, they kind of just sleep through it, don't sleep through, t- I don't mean like physically, I mean like emotionally, don't sit there in 30 minutes later go, oh, yeah, where are we at? <laughs> All right, you, you, you plugged into what God wants you to get. Now, notice what happens from here in verse 17. He was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place? This is none other but the what? <laughs> Look at verse 18. Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows. Buddy, if you're sleeping on stones, you are hurting. <laughs> I mean, imagine like the next morning, like, God, can you send me the closest chiropractor around here, <laughs> you know? Uh, but, but look at uh, look what happens here. Jacob rose up early in the morning, took the stone he had put for the pillows, and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it, and he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that, of that city was Luz at the first, and Jacob vowed a vow, saying, if God will be with me, so on and so forth. Now, now go down, look at verse 20, 20, uh, verse 22, and this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be what? Now, now you may go, what? Are we, Pastor, like, are we looking for a rock right now to call it the house of God? What, what I'm trying to get to understand, there's a couple things here. Number one, Jesus Christ is called the chief cornerstone. Yeah. He is called the rock. And if you're going to rest on someone, it might as well be him. Yeah. I'll also say this in regards to from a practical standpoint, that rock was an inanimate object. That rock had no power. You didn't go before that rock and go, oh my goodness, the rock, the rock that it was for my, you didn't do that. You know what that rock did though? That rock represented the fact that Jacob met with God. And, and something as, as silly and, and kind of, I don't know, foolish and, and, and rudimentary and, and basic as a rock, Jacob looks at that rock and goes, that's the house of God. Why? Because I met God there. <laughs> It wasn't so much about the rock. It wasn't about the building. It wasn't about the pulpit. But it's about the fact that when I go there, I meet with God. And that's what makes it the house of God. So understand this. When we talk about the local church uh, and affiliating that term, the house of God, with the church, I'm not talking about the building. But I am saying this. You ought to come here to meet with God. I know, I know. Yeah, someone's probably thinking, yeah, but I can meet him in nature and I can meet him. Yeah, that's true, but let me ask you a question. How many great decisions for God have you made when you're eating a donut, sitting on a lake fishing? How many decisions have you made for God here? Yeah, a little different, isn't it? You say, why? Because you're meeting with God. L- look at verse 15 in the passage. The house of God is connected with nothing else but the presence of God Himself. It's connected with God revealing Himself. And look at verse 13 in the passage. It's connected with your identity in God. Let me say this uh, the church, one of the main reasons the church is here, is, is so that you learn who you are supposed to be within God's people. There's a part of you that's never going to be identified when you are a lone wolf doing your own thing, living your own Christian life outside of a local church. What God does, look. We can we can kind of go through the room and look at the people that are here. And I don't want to tell everybody's story, but I can walk through and I can look at Brother James and where he was at a decade ago and what God's done in their life and in their family and how he's changed and how he's a better husband and a better father. You better say Amen, Miss Debbie, right there. And all of that, you say why? Because of a local church. Where he met with God and heard from God. And it wasn't the preacher going, you need to stop this, you need to stop that. I never preached one message on smoking. Not one. Smoking of anything that you want to smoke. All right? Whether it be... Any, anyways, I never preached one of those messages, and yet... You know, he came to me and said, I quit this. I, quit. I said, great, praise the Lord. I never went to him and said, you've got to stop this, and you've got to stop that, and you got... To... Now, you say, why? Because it's God speaking to him. And it's God showing up in his life. What does God do when we come here? God shows up. <laughs> yes, God can show up when you're kneeling beside your bed and praying and, and reading your Bible. And I'm, I'm all for that. But let me say this. There is something special about coming apart from the rest of the world and saying, God, this matters to me. I want to meet with you. You know what? I think about this. When I, when I look at the passage, I think to myself then, why would, t- why would Paul tell Timothy that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself now? Let me tell you right now, those babies in the nursery—they don't know how to behave <laughs> in the house of God. <laughs> you know why? You know why? You know why those babies—they don't come to church and go, "Oh, we're in church; we should be quiet and listen." You know why? Because the baby has no concept of anything but itself. <laughs> oh, Olivia, was so cute and precious, and oh, look at her, look at her eyes, and oh, look, she's j- 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 so precious. She's selfish. <laughs> I walked in the room the other day and I said, "Hey, sweetheart," and I kept walking, and she went. Bah! Like, how dare you pass me? <laughs> I'm like, well, I love you, but I kind of got to love her a little bit more because she was here before you. And, and I'm thinking that, like, if I don't take care of her, there ain't going to be any of you to take care of either. So, <laughs> right? And, and, so, and so the whole point is this. That baby has no concept that there's anyone else in the room but themselves. That's not how you ought to come to church. You're supposed to grow beyond that. L- listen, the, Paul says it like this to young Timothy. That thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself. You know what that means? You can know. Yes. You should know. And the emphasis on thou, yes. you. You know what that means? There's a responsibility to know how to behave when we approach God. And when we come to do so, to learn the Word of God and to worship our Creator and our Savior. I I think because, I I mentioned this a little bit earlier, I think society has gone so far out of its way. The church, I'll say it this way, the church has gone uh, so far out of its way to go, come as you are, we don't care. And by the way, I don't care, man, if you are drunk. I don't care if you're this, if you're that. If you come to church and you make it by the grace of God, we're glad you're here. And I mean that sincerely. All right, come as you are. But let me just say this. The idea that you come as you are is just fine, but leaving how you came is the problem. And the church today is like, come, stay how you are, it'll be all cool with God. God's not Santa Claus. God is someone to reverence and respect, and the Bible talks about the fear of God for a reason. If you come to church and you're kind of casual about, I don't mean casual in clothing, I mean about your attitude and your spirit, and you come to, someone asked me recently, do you have a dress code? I said, no, man, come however you want. I'm going to be like this because I'm the preacher, and I want people to understand that when a guy gets behind the pulpit, he needs to do, he's, that's behind a sacred pulpit, preaching the words of God. So let me just say this, I have a responsibility. I never want to dress better as a CEO than I would as a pastor. So that, that's, that's that, all right? But all that said, I don't care how you come to church in regards to that, but man, when it comes to your spirit and your attitude, if you come to church, it's kind of like, all right, let's go, let's do this. Or, or you come in 20 minutes late and you wouldn't do that to work? Right. Every single time? And, you, and it's, like, it's like, this is just the way that it is. You wouldn't do that work, you wouldn't keep your job. Yeah. You know what that tells me? You don't reverence God, in your mind, here's what I think it is. It's like God's just cool with everything. He's not. And, and I know, I know people, well, we're in the New Testament, you know, I, I literally had someone the other day tell me it was the funniest thing. And they were being serious, and I, I just, you know, kind of nodded and, oh, okay. They said, yeah, like, God in the Old Testament was, like, angry. And, like, angry and, 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 like, you know, uh, all about justice and judgment. And then he's, like, happy in the New Testament. They're being serious. I'm like, look. It, I'm going to tell you right now, God has always been a God of justice and judgment. Yes. What, what makes the New Testament so, so beautiful, though, is that God uh, meets the requirement for justice and judgment by filling the sacrifice himself. Th- that's where mercy and truth, as the Bible says in Proverbs, meet together. All right, but, but that said, look, if you come to church and your idea of God is that God wants to strike you with a lightning bolt, you're going to come like this. If you come to church and think God's Santa Claus, you'll just come wherever you want. Yeah. And let me just say something, there, that neither one of those is right. So you want to learn how to approach the Lord. And people say this all the time, man looketh on the outward appearance. I've been the first one to tell you, I've seen people come to church with a suit and tie, Bible tucked under their arm, and they've got a tongue that's 50 feet long. <laughs> and their heart's as black as ace of spades, and you need to get right with God. And I've seen people come in, they've been painting all day, and they got their jeans on, it's full of paint, they got their their t-shirt on, full of paint, got paint on their arms. And you know what? Man, the heart, as clean as God. Beautiful, crystal clear heart. You say, why? Because that's not really what what we're talking about. But I will say this, as it relates to that, that mindset of that God looks on the heart, and man just looks on the outward appearance, has now become, it doesn't even matter what my heart's like. Because God's cool with everything. No, it matters to God that thou mightest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. Let me say this, number one, it's a place of sanctity. Amen. It ought to be, you know, what, you know what some of these young men say? It's just nice to be in a clean place. Yeah. Amen. Some of these young women, when they get saved and get right with God and start learning the word of God, it's just good to come to a place where no one's going to use the wrong language and no one's going to say this and no, no one's going to put this in front. You know what You know what sanctity is? It is a, a, a mindset of holiness. Look at Exodus chapter 3. The, the, the first time the word holy shows up in the Bible You know, we we have a holy Bible, amen? And you've got a holy spirit. Today, the word holy is almost used like like a bad thing, like, oh, you're holier than thou, right? Uh, Let me just say this much. Uh, There's a difference between self-righteousness and real righteousness, right? If you're lost without Jesus Christ, you're living in your own righteousness, and you need to trade that in for the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ, but, but there's nothing wrong with righteousness, right? And, and there's nothing wrong with holiness. Almost today, it's almost like holiness is kind of like a, oh, we're not, we're not your grandma's church. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I got to say it. Grandma could pay the bills, keep a family together, and feed the children, and keep a house. So maybe we need grandma's church. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> Grandma knew what gender she was. Yeah. Just saying. Look at Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, look at verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, if you got a father in law named Jethro, you'll do whatever he says. <laughs> the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert. You know what that is? It's a picture of being out in the world, middle of nowhere. This world is that way. It just kind of seems dry sometimes, doesn't it? And the Bible says that he came to the mountain of God, even to Mount Horeb. That, that's a place that's that's mentioned over and over in your Bible. That matter of fact, that's where the, it's so funny that God had him, allowed him to be there. That's where years later, when he brings the people out of Egypt, they go back and they get the law of God at Mount Horeb, at Mount Sinai. It's also where Elijah goes for 40 days and 40 nights, and he runs on the meat that God gave him. It's a special place in the Bible, but it's called the mountain of God. Uh, look at verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed and Moses said, I've got nothing better to do. I've got no internet. I've got no phone. There is no Monday night football. There's no Thursday night football. There's no, fo- There's no nothing. It's me and a stick and these sheep walking around. So you know what? I'm going to turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. You know what the Bible says? When, when the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called on him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. You know what God wants to see? That you're, that you're willing to look into him. Yeah. Then there's more revelation after that. I've had people tell me, "Why well, I just can't believe in a God that, you know, what I believe, you know what I say to them? Well, okay. But if you're not willing to look into the God of the Bible, then you're just going to miss out. Well, also, as he turned aside, and then God spoke to him. Now, now, look at what the Lord says in verse number five. He said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place where on thou standest is what? Let me just say this. It is not until which time that Moses submits to what God just said. You know what we would do? Why, can't I just come as I am? Right. What's the big deal? Why do I got to take my shoes off? Why do I gotta, You know, it's like when you go to a Korean person's house. Take your shoes off, right? When you walk in, right? right? What, what, what is it? There's, a, there's, a, there's something in the Bible. It's connected. You say what? As you approach God, God says, hey, look. There's something right here that's dirty. Let's just get that out of the way so you can approach me. You know what God calls that piece of dirt? Holy ground. Can I ask you, let me just throw this out there. Why do you suppose God calls a piece of dirt holy ground? Because God's there. Do you reckon that God would have given him everything that he told Moses if Moses would have been like, Nah, I'm good. I think I'll just listen from here. I'll do it my way. I'm keeping my shoes on. You know how much these cost me? I just bought these last week. <laughs> Lord said, take them off. If you want to come closer to me, take them off. And then when he takes them off and he submits to God's principle of approaching holy ground and Moses approaches it the right way in a mindset of, listen to me, sanctity. In a mindset of purity and holiness. When Moses does that, God speaks to Moses. Moses. I think the church today at large is great about marketing and about programs and about activities. You know what's missing from the church? Holiness. Being clean. Let let me say this right now, right? and I mean this as graciously as I can say it. That's why when you approach God, you ought to consider how you're approaching Him. You should not simply say, well, I don't see the problem with it. Why don't you ask God how He wants you to approach Him? Look at Exodus chapter number 28. Go with me to Exodus 28. Midweek Bible study. So I want you to look at some scripture right now. Don't worry, they're using pepper spray and they've got rubber bullets in the nursery. They'll take care of it just fine. Exodus chapter 28. One of these days someone's going to take me serious. That's a joke, Exodus 28. Look at verse uh, number two. And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron, thy brother, for glory and for beauty. You know what holiness is beautiful? Vows is to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. You see why? Well, it's clean. It's different from everything out there. Look at verse number four. These are the garments which they, which they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a broidered coat, a miter, a girdle, and they shall make holy garments. If you notice the term holy, just keeps showing up. Look at verse 29, same passage. And Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel, on the breastplate of judgment upon his heart, when he goeth in unto thee, what? That's where they met individually with God. Look at verse 35. And it shall be upon Aaron to minister, and his sound shall be heard when he goeth in unto thee what? Holy it, the holy place. L- listen, what I want you to understand is this. What makes something holy is it's a reflection of God. It's also a sign that God owns that thing. Let me say this. If you're saved, God owns you. Yeah. Ye are not your own. You're bought with a price. So the way you approach God in God's mind, maybe not yours, but in God's mind, it should be this way. God, am I approaching you the right way with the life that you've given me? Or am I approaching you flippantly? Do I act like it doesn't matter? Or am I approaching you with reverence and respect and with holiness and the fear of God? You see, the first time the word sanctify shows up in your Bible. It's God saying sanctify unto me. All your firstborn. Exodus 13, when he talks about the Passover lamb. Jesus says this, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. This is where we get the word. Sorry, ladies. Slide number two. (laughs) This is where we get the word sanctuary. Do you realize we call this a sanctuary? Some of you might get offended. I'm not trying to offend you. This is not your living room. I'm your bedroom, this ain't your living room. Let me tell you right now, when your kids leave a pile of trash, oh, someone else will clean it up. First off, you're teaching them that, number one, they don't have to be responsible for their own actions. Right. Number two, you're showing them this place is no different than your, your... By the way, if you let them do that in your living room, shame on you. Right. I mean, what you do at your house is your business, and I get that. But man, coming to the house of God and going, well, it's just like, it ain't in your house. Right this isn't my this is not this is not to be treated the same way why cuz the carpet cuz the chairs there's nothing holy about this it's because of what we're doing here that makes this holy ground <laughs> It's not so much the building and the stuff. It's not that we're stuck on materials. I know this. Someday, this is going to burn. That's going to burn. Everything. The Bible says the elements are going to melt with the fervent heat. All you've got, your bank account, your 401k, your cars, your house, it's all going to go up in smoke. And it's all going to be left behind. I get all that. But while we're here, (laughs) this is holy ground. It ought to be a sanctuary. There ought to be a sense of reverence. You know what we don't want? We don't want kids playing during church. You say, why? Because it's a sanctuary. Oh, I, one of my really good friends in ministry, told, We heard a story from him about the fact that one day this, this family came and the kids were running on the chairs. He said, hey, you can't do that. the mom went on Facebook, you know, real spiritual giant, keyboard warrior. Can you believe I visited this church? And they told my kid they couldn't run on the chairs. I think kids should be free. You know what everybody said? Lady, this ain't your house. You want them to run around on top of your furniture and knock yourself out. This is not your house. You don't come in here with Burger King and sit there and eat a meal in church. You don't come in here and this is not the time to catch up on breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Let me tell you something else is not the time to do. Catch up on Facebook. You can do that later if you have to do it. I've literally seen adults scroll through social media in church. What are you teaching them about being in the house of God? When you can't turn your phone off long enough to say, God, I need to hear from you. I just, ne- I, I can't believe this. I'm offended. I'll never come back. If that's what it takes to offend you, I love you. I don't want to see you go, but there's the door. And here's why. Because if that's how you approach God, maybe it's not best that you be here. You know why? We want people that want to approach God the right way. Don't look at me like that. Some of, you, some of you are managers at jobs. You would say to someone that's interviewing, nope, no thanks. And then when it comes to church, it's kind of like, yeah, have whatever stinking attitude you want. Resist the truth. Don't accept it, but accept the people. Let me just say right now, if you're coming here, we want you here. But if your attitude is this, this is no different than my house, you've got it wrong. It is, it is different. It is, and this isn't my house. This isn't the pastor's house. This is God's house need just say it right now, if it's a place of holiness, there ought to be some, some, a different outlook when we open up that book and say, God, would you speak to me? Look, I, don't get me wrong. I don't mean this to sound boastful or proud or anything, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident my schedule's a pretty busy one. I'll be able to line up with a lot of folks in this room, and I have no problem with that. And I love Coffee. My grandfather was a coffee farmer. My dad, who grew up as a coffee farmer, my great grandfather, my great great grandfather, my great 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 grandfather from Venezuela before they came to Puerto Rico, which, by the way, was on accident. They were trying to get to America. I want to live in America. I want to. That's where they are trying to go. And they, pff, God just blew them over, you know, pff, blew the wind and got them off course. They ended up in Puerto Rico, coffee farmers. I love coffee. Can I get a witness? Yeah. All right, but do you need to get up 15 minutes in a service and get a cup of coffee? No. And, and parents, teach your kids that. You say, why? This isn't the dinner table. This isn't the living room. This is a special place. You see, reverence, according to Webster's 1828, is fear mingled with respect and esteem. You know what God says? Reverence my sanctuary, Leviticus 19. Leviticus 26, reverence my sanctuary, I am the Lord. Look at Psalm chapter 89. Psalm, Is this, is this making any sense? Yeah. It's not the living room. It's not the dining room. It's not the man cave. It's God's house. And, and I mean this respectfully. I'm not being funny when I say this. Some people are accustomed to using their Bible on their phone. I get that. But I'll tell you from experience, you know one of the problems with that? When you get your Bible out to look at it on your phone is everything else is on there. And and, and I'm, not, I'm not throwing stones. I'm trying to help you, believe it or not. You'll do so much better with a book. Yes. Look, look at you go, oh, that's old-fashioned. I'm not that old. Right. Why are you laughing, Chewy? <laughs> See, as soon as I said it, he starts laughing and looking down. All right, you ask some of these folks that are older than me, they'll tell you I'm a young whippersnapper, all right? <laughs> uh, I was born in 1981, all right? I'm not that old, but, but I'll tell you this. I, I've watched the shift, even in church, of, of having the book. Now, look, I'm not, I'm not again, I'm not throwing stones. Here's what right I know, though. Here's what right I know. I know very few people that use a digital Bible that also use it heavily to study. Mm-hmm. I know a lot more people that got a book that they can hold in their hands and turn pages in yeah. that do the work. You say, why? Well, there's a lot of reasons why. But I'll just say this. There's nothing like the real thing, Coca-Cola. Nothing like the real thing. Can't beat it. Yeah. Look at uh, Psalm 89. God, look at verse 7. God is greatly to be, a fe- greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and, had, and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. To be had in reverence. You know what that means? That means you ought to be revering God when you come to church. You say, what does that mean? Well, it means that when you come, all right, hey buddy, young man, can you not let that door slam? Thank you. Thank you so much. When you come, you know what it ought to be? It ought to, there ought to be some reverence to how you approach the Lord. He ought to be feared. You say, why? Well, I don't want to be afraid of my. Let me say it right now, people say, well, the fear of God really just means respect. No, it means what it says. When you realize the creator of the universe, now look, he's your father, he loves you. If you're saved, you're his child. He wants you to be able to, to fall on your knees and cry, Abba, Father, and get the help that you need. But you also don't, don't overlook the fact that he is holy. He's righteous. Yes, he the only reason we can have a relationship with him is because he made the first step of becoming one of us and never sinned. Thank God. But when we come, there ought to be a sense of, of reverence. You say, why? Because this is a place of sanctity. Can I say this as well? This is a place of structure. Now, now every pla- let me just say this right now. You know what you're seeing in society? Structures are falling apart everywhere. Yeah. Anybody recently seen any videos of Philadelphia and the looting and the craziness going on there? You know what I'm talking about? You know what that is? It's a lack of structure. And once, listen to me, once you lose the idea of sanctity, structure goes with it. Uh, look if you would at 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, oh, let's see here. Ver- first, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 34. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 34. You know what, it's not, church is not a free-for-all. It's not just, I'll just do whatever, it's not how it works. Uh, Listen, I'll I'll tell you right now, there's a reason God put structure in the home. When you don't have structure in the home, you have chaos. When you don't have structure in society, listen to me, you have anarchy. You can't live that way and have peace and prosperity. Then then let me just say this much, when it comes to the house of God, there ought to be some structure. God, God put it there for Look at 1 Corinthians 11. This is Paul talking about the Lord's Supper. Do you know what they were doing? Everyone's coming and going, Well, if we're going to have the bread and the, and the grape juice tonight, then man, I'm going to catch up and I'm going to get my fill because I missed dinner. That's literally what they're doing in the church of Corinth. And, and Paul has to, Paul has to I, I read Paul's writings and I'm, I'm like, I get it, man. I get it. He has to constantly, like, rain on the parade. And guys, I love you, you're great, you're wonderful, but please understand this about the Lord. He does that with tongues, and he tells them, hey, tongues is not like this big show and the spectacle, and you don't walk around going, I've got this gift, and I've got this gift, and I've. he's got to rain on that parade in chapter 14. In chapter 11, he goes, hey guys, when you come together for the Lord's Supper, it's not to catch up on dinner. It's meant to be a separate from your necessary food. It's meant to be a memorial, and look at what he says in verse number 34. When he talks to the church of Corinth, he talks about a very important word. Uh, Look at verse uh, 34. If any man hunger, let him eat at home. Say, preacher, I don't have anything to eat at home. Let me know. We'll make sure you get plenty of food. Puerto Rican people love to feed people. i will be glad to feed you. All right? That you come not together under condemnation and watch this. And the rest will I set in what? Have you ever walked up to a vending machine? And uh, I know like now they're trying to get rid of them and like put apples in them. That's just wicked. We want Snickers and Milky Way and all the process. I know some of you right now are like, you know. I'm looking kind of over here, looking for your sisters downstairs. Like, I wish they had vending machines with kale. Nobody wants that. <laughs> <laughs> you ever gone to a vending machine and, and there's a big sticker on it and it says out of order? You know, that tells you it ain't going to work. Yeah. Do you realize when your walk with God is out of Things aren't working in your life. When your home is out of, and you have kids telling the parents what they're going to do, you got a problem. When when, when government is out of, right? So let's follow that into the church. You realize there's three bodies of government God created in the Bible. The family was the first one. Government, civil government was after that. You know what the next one is? The local church. You know why? Because God believes, look, go, go to, Gen- just go, look at Genesis chapter one. Just, just read it. Just, just, just glance over it for just a moment. Because I think it'll show you something about the character and nature of God. Y- you know what God does? He puts stuff in order. Right. Now, I'm not going to go in all the, you know, Genesis, what happened between Genesis one and one, and, and, and verse number one and verse number two. Uh, that's a Bible study for another time. But, but here's what I do know. God doesn't make stuff halfway. Aren't you guy? he didn't halfway save you? And he's like, "Well, you're saved until you screw up again, then you're out of here." You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm thankful that's not my God. When he said, when he was on the cross, he said, "It is, it is. right." He did it right. Right? He did the job, the right. He did it all the way. He went a little further for us. Look at Genesis 1. You know what you'll see? God divides light from darkness. And and God puts the land over here, and He puts the sea over here. And He puts the water that's above the firmament, uh, and the water that's below the firmament He calls seas. And the water that's above the the firmament He calls, like, like we know it as outer space, the heavens. And God does all this. What is He doing? He's bringing order from chaos. Let me just say this right now. That did not evolve into being. Yes. Right. It took an intelligent designer. Yeah. Yes. And I, I can't believe this, but my wife was telling me today the guy's name was Blunder. All right, Some weird, last, it's a funny last name like that. And this guy in the 80s wrote a book. You know what he wrote it on? He was his premise. His premise was evolution was true. Ready? Here, you ready for it? Because of cars. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a joke. He, he wrote a book. See? See, next year they come out with a new model with automatic windows. You don't have to roll up and down. Yes. Yes, that's true. Good. A plus for that. But someone designed it. <laughs> Listen, you know what you have in Genesis chapter 1? It's, it's history telling you how everything came into being. And you know what you read there over and over and over? God bringing order and structure into the picture so that life can thrive do whatever you want in your home i'm just using it as an illustration i get the boys up i give them a hug i tell them i love them i say it stinks in your room i don't know why (laughs) boys stink all right they they just do and let me just say this right now the the only sex education that our kids need all right is girls have cooties and boys stink (laughs) till they're older okay and the whole, the, whole, the whole thing is this. I go into their room, and I, I say, I love you. I give them a hug. I, I go through the morning things. I say, hey, you guys sleep well? Yeah, we slept well. Okay, all right. Hey, this is what I want you to do. Let's go ahead and get dressed. Let's make that bed. All right, now we're going to go do the chores. you got the dogs. You've got the chickens. You're doing this. You're doing that. You see why? They need structure. They need structure. Here's what happens in a lot of homes. There's none of that. Then you come to church. And a Sunday school teacher says, we can't have you in this class. You're not old enough. And the parent goes, yeah, but I really want them in there. Okay, but I'm, this isn't a free-for-all. Now, look, I'm a homeschooler. I'm about to make fun of homeschoolers, all right? We, we homeschool our kids. I've met homeschool parents that have a kid that's like in 10th grade and they're like 9 years old. Can they go to youth group? No! They're not ready for that. You say, what do you need? You need some structure. You, you understand that this is not a free-for-all? And if it was, it would be chaos. God, God, God allows life to thrive. Within. Aren't you thankful that you know the sun will rise tomorrow? Yeah. You know what that is? That's consistency and structure in nature that God put there. Aren't you thankful that the mosquitoes that attacked us in the summer are now gone back to the hell from whence they came? Yeah. As the nights go to 40 degrees, isn't that a blessing? And they're gone somewhere else, you know? And, and, and aren't you thankful for the change of seasons? You say, what is that? Well, it's, it's a good reminder. Warren, I, I'm, I'm glad you like Pensacola, but let me tell you right now, let me tell you what I love about Colorado. Seasons. In Pensacola, it's hot and then hotter all year long. I am thankful for four distinct seasons. And you say, what is that? Just structure and nature. You know what God does? God allows life to thrive in that. You know what God will do in a church? The same thing. You know what the Bible says over in Proverbs? It says, I went by the field of the slothful. And it was all grown over with thorns. Yeah. And, and you, know what, you know what the Lord said? It was grown all over with thorns, and nettles had covered the face over, and the stone wall there was broken down. It's almost like God saying, hey, look, if you want structure to stay in place, you know how you know evolution is not true? Leave a car out in a field for 30 years. It does not turn into Optimus Prime. <laughs> right? 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 Uh, oh, I'm sorry, bumblebee. I'm sorry, it's real technical. <laughs> She's like, it's not a truck. All right, bumblebee. All right. This is what happens in church sometimes. Sorry I got transformer doctrine off a little bit. But you put a car in a field, it doesn't, it doesn't turn into some road. You say, what? It's going to corrode and waste away unless you, listen to me, maintain it. Do you know what it takes in here? And I don't just mean for the building. I mean, I mean for what God's doing here. It takes us doing the same thing. In it requires structure. You know what Paul says? He says it this way. Let all things be done decently and in order. Do you realize, now look, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not him, okay? You know how he did it? He told them, I want the wood in this order. Yes. I didn't write the book. He tells those Old Testament Jews, I want the wood laid like this, and I want this wood laid like this, and I want this sacrifice this way. You say, what is that? Over and over. You know what the word that you find more than anything else in the book of like Exodus? Order. What are you getting at? God's a God of order. You know what David does one time? He wants to bring back the Ark of God. And they're excited. We got the Ark back from the Philistines. We're going to bring it back and God's going to be with us. And you know what they decided to do? We're going to put it on a new cart. Well, well, wasn't the Old Testament, well, didn't God command them to put it on staves and to carry that Ark? Well, yeah, he did. But it's slow and it's, it's archaic and it's the these and the thous and it's, it's hard to carry, and, and don't you think we just put it on a cart and move it quicker that way? Well, you can. Here's the problem. Someone dies. Why? Because we want it convenient. You know what the Bible says when they, when they bring the ark back the second time the right way? You know what you know, the Bible says? It says, we sought not the Lord. When David's recounting the story, he goes, we did it right this time. Why? Because at the first time, we sought not the Lord after the due order. You know what that tells me? You don't just make it up as you go. God give you a book. And they give you a church to provide you structure for your spiritual growth and for your health and for your spiritual life and well-being. Let me say this thirdly. It's a place of stillness. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 9. It's a place of stillness. 1 Samuel chapter 9. Can I tell you something I know about Western society? I don't want to just say Americans. I think it's just Western society. I'd say first world people. Anxiety and depression is on the rise everywhere in the first world. I'm not saying it's exclusively due to this, but you know what some of it is. You know, in the first, I know this is kind of a far concept for the young folks, but um, we had three channels when we were growing up, and you had to hold the bunny ears the right way. Sometimes you put an antenna like uh, aluminum foil. Remember that. Right? Miss Rachel, you don't know what that is, but we're going to educate you, all right? And, and so you, you put the aluminum foil in the bunny ears and turn a certain way. And, and this is literally, I'm not making this up. Sometimes you know what happened? You would stand there, and you'd, you, you'd have the aluminum foil turn a certain way, and then you'd let it go, and it would get fuzzy again. And they would say, stand there. I'm like, I don't want to stand there. All right? Listen, there was a time when we didn't have 24-7 news cycles. You know what we had? We had news at like 7 o'clock and 11 o'clock. And you have now constant this and constant that. And our minds are overwhelmed. And we're constant like this. And we're going 80 miles down the road looking at stuff. And you can look in the car next to you on I 70 watching go 80, 85, 90 miles an hour. And they're watching a video. Why? Because they can't just be still. And then you come to church. And you're like, man, is he ever going to shut up? Man, I wonder what the game is, What's score, and what's going on here. And Oh, man, I, I think I might have to go to the bathroom for the 40th time, and I, I'm going to go get some water, and I'm just going to move around. You say, why? Because you haven't learned to be still in any other area of your life. Look at First Samuel chapter 9. Look, if you would, at verse 27. I need to say this. I need to say this and make this very clear. If you don't know me, and this is your first time here, you might think, you might be under the impression that um, when someone gets up in, in church that I take offense to that, I don't. I, I don't. I need to make that very clear. That's not the point of the message. As a matter of fact, the way I was trained, the way that some of the guys in this room were trained, you know how we were trained? To go and learn how to preach out on the street with people throwing beer at you. So I don't. the distractions don't bother me, but I will tell you it does. For that person whose heart is broken they barely made it to church, and you can't stop to think about someone else, it distracts them. For, for, for that Christian who's backslidden and they want to come home spiritually... And you can't be still, it distracts them. For that lost person who's not saved and they don't have the spirit of God inside of them, they're already questioning everything that's going on in the room, trying to figure out what it's all about and you got your rights and I can do whatever I want and you get up and you start moving around, you know what it does? You start talking to your neighbor and and during offering time, it's the time to catch up and we're gonna talk about this and laugh about this and that, but you distract people from what God is trying to do in their lives. Look, if you would, at 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse number 27, and notice what is told here to Saul. Saul is told to do what? He is told by Samuel. uh, Look, if you would, at the latter part of the verse, but stand thou still a while. Why? That I may show thee the word of God. You know what that tells me? There is value in learning to be still. The problem is this, our hearts are not still, our minds are not still. And because we make no effort outside these four walls, in our homes, in our cars, in our daily lives to say, God, I don't need all the noise, I just want to hear from you. And then you come to church and it's like, why can't I, I'm just, and the Lord's like, just be still, be still. You know, David says it this way, be still and know that I am God. Over in the book of Hebrews, it says, let us hold fast and profession of our faith without wavering. And let us consider one another to provoke and a love and a good works. You know what you're supposed to do when you come to church? And I mean this respectfully. It's not all about us. You're to consider others. You ever thought that maybe, look, there's a reason why when I'm preaching and my wife can't be in the room because she's got a baby to tend to, we find an adult to sit next to our kids. You say, why? Oh, because they're heathen. No, they're kids. Kids shouldn't sit by themselves. You know what's going to happen? Eventually, they're going to distract people. You may not like this, but you know, over in the, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, the Bible says that there's a girl that has an unclean spirit, and I'm not saying that because someone is distracting. they have an unclean spirit, but, but here's what she did. She walked around and followed Paul, and she said, these are the men of the Most High God. These men are preaching the Word of God. All she did was follow them and say things that were true, but you know what that was? That was a distraction from the actual preaching. And you know what, what God's answer on that was? Hey, we need to address that. Why? Because no one can be still here. Everyone's kind of like this. Consider each other, brethren. Listen, understand this. Sometimes that, that twitch, that, that desire to get up and do something, you don't realize it, but there's someone who's listening and, and they're plugged in And the Lord is dealing with them about something, and their attention is gone for the next five minutes. Let me tell you something right now. I don't want to get to the judgment seat of Christ and know that I did that to a lost person. Don't you guys pray for lost people to come to church? Don't you pray for people to come and get saved? Then does that not mean we have a responsibility at how we present what it is we're doing here? Let me say this look at Romans chapter 12. We'll close after this. It is a place of sacrificing. It is a place of sacrificing. You know what kind of church is? Let's be honest. You are, you are sacrificing time. And it's a good thing. It, you are sacrificing at times some of your treasures. That's a good thing. The Bible says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where thieves cannot break through nor steal. You ought to be sacrificing treasures. Can I say the greatest sacrifice that God wants to see from us when we come? Listen, in the Old Testament, they'd bring a lamb or they'd bring a a goat for the sin offering, whatever, and they'd bring these different sacrifices. Sometimes it was a bird for a cleansing, uh, an offering for cleansing, different things that God gave them in the Old Testament law. I'm not going to get into all that right now. But what they do, they'd have to bring a certain sacrifice. Look, when I approach God, I approach Him with confidence knowing that Jesus was my sacrifice. And at this point in my life, I'm not bringing money. I'm not bringing this. I'm not bringing. That. You know what I'm trying to bring more than anything else. Sometimes, you know, what I got to do drag myself to a place where I go, God, I'm yours. You know what a church is supposed to be? We've lost this today. We've made it all about us, about what's convenient, what I like, and what programs you have, and this and that. You know what? You know what church is supposed to be? It's supposed to be God. How can I give myself to you? Look at Romans 12. Look at verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You can't prove what the will of God is for your life until you first learn to sacrifice you you know what church is supposed to be? It's supposed to be you as a child of God. Now, look, if you're not saved, you know what the first step is? Is you accepting God's sacrifice for your sins. Amen. But as a child of God, as you approach God, do you know what church is supposed to be? Church is supposed to be a place. I, I, I know it's kind of funny. Remember JFK? Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. You know what we have in church? A bunch of Christians going, what's in it for me? Instead of approaching, going, Lord, I am thine, O Lord. I've heard thy voice, and I told thy love to me. Draw me nearer, nearer, nearer to thy cross, Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Look, I, more than anything, do you know what I want? I want to explain to you, I, I am not responsible. I, I think this, you need to get a hold of this principle. We do not control other people, and we should not manipulate other people. But there's a responsibility on the part of the pastor to explain what the Bible says. And what you do with it is completely up to you. But brethren, you know what I hope you do with it? Lord, I want to approach this thing the way, as we talk over the next week or two about the church, let's approach this thing the right way. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. The Lord's spoken to you, the altar is open. Pray you take advantage of it. This piano player comes. We'll make as much room here as possible. If the Lord's spoken to you, pray that you'd respond to him. Father, we come to you now. Thank you for the book. Thank you for the Bible to clear up our hearts and our minds. And Lord, I, I pray that you'd help us to just approach you. Well, it's really at the base of all of this, it's not so much church. Church is the the gathering where we can do this, but really, the deeper element—it's you. It's how we approach you, and I pray we do that the right way. I say we because I want to do it the right way. Well, I don't—I haven't mastered all this stuff, but I'm convicted about it. it. It bothers me, Lord, oftentimes how even flippantly I can come. I don't want to do that. Lord, I want to approach this thing the right way. Lord, you are a holy God, so holy that you allowed your son to hang naked as an open shame with his body broken his side pierced his feet pierced his hands pierced his brow pierced with a crown of thorns and you did all that to satisfy justice and holiness Lord, we have we're, we're, we have no misgivings about who it is we're talking to tonight Lord you are as Hebrews says, our God is a consuming fire. I'm just thankful that you're my Father. I'm thankful that you want me close to you. Well, Lord, would you help us to approach it the right way? Heads bowed and eyes closed. If the Lord's spoken to you, take advantage of the moment. And If you say, well, I don't want to walk all the way down. Fine, just talk to the Lord where you're at, but, but talk to him nonetheless. And maybe just say, Lord, I don't, there's some things that, mentioned tonight, Lord, I, I, I want to look at those things and I want to look at the scriptures and I want to look into this and I want, I, I want to approach you the right way. If you're here tonight, you know you're saved, you could raise your hand and say, I'm a child of God, I'm a born-again, blood-bought child of God. You say, why blood-bought? It was the blood of Jesus Christ that paid for my redemption. But if you couldn't raise your hand and you don't know what it means to be saved, We've got some people here that would love to open up a Bible and show you how to be saved, show you how to know Jesus Christ is your Savior, how to know that heaven is your home, that God is your Father, that your eternity is secure. Christian, it, it matters how we approach God. I know, I know some of the stuff may sound old school, but are some things that I don't think so much are old school as much as they are just timeless holiness is timeless it's, it doesn't get old if anything in the wicked world in which we live holiness is a high commodity it's of high value and believer my prayer is that we would we'd hold on to that we teach our children these things I know this the Bible says, every one of us, Romans 14, shall give account of himself to God. You know what I've learned about preaching the Bible? I've learned this. I've learned that my responsibility is to, to give it, to put it out. I, I'm not responsible, necessarily, to make sure people do everything. That's God's work in your life. But I pray you'd consider, say, Lord. am I am looking at this the wrong way where would you help me look at this the right look Lord help me see this not from Pastor Adrian's perspective but I want to see it from your perspective the Bible says to tarry one for another so while these pray just take a, take a little bit of time there's no rush song says take time to be holy though the world rushes on and it does it will never stop <laughs> time just keeps on just keeps on going you know the reason we call this an altar is because the intention is to say Lord The living sacrifice, not the dead sacrifice. It's not what he wants. He wants a living sacrifice—a moving, breathing, conscious, thinking, free will being that says, "God, I don't have to do this, but I want to. And I lay myself at your feet. I'm yours." got something out of the Word of God tonight. Thank you for coming. Um, Thank you for being here. I'll I'll be honest with you, I really was trying. I know you don't believe this. Some of you don't believe this. I really wanted to get done like 15 minutes ago. (laughs) I really did, Um, but I didn't want to shortchange this. I wanted you guys to get what the Lord gave me, so I hope it was a help to you. Um, Love you guys. Thank you for coming out tonight, and uh, we look forward to seeing you, Lord willing, if you can make it out Friday night. If you have questions about outreach ministry stuff, Brother Sean, are you, there you are, raise your hand. If you have questions, you got to do it again, man, one more time. There, there he is, right there. Okay. Everyone just stared at him for about 30 seconds making make him really <laughs> uncomfortable. Uh, but um, if you have questions about that, see him, please. We'd love to see you Friday. Just so you all know, uh, what we'll do after we're done with public evangelism, we always take the kids for ice cream. And uh, sometimes even the big kids get in on it. Pastor, I left my debit card at home. So uh, anyways, I'm just picking on him. Um, but we, we'd love for you to join us. That'll be Friday night, 6 o'clock. Uh, otherwise, we will see you Sunday morning uh, for Sunday school at 10 o'clock. And we look forward to having you. We'll be going through the Gospel of John. We're in Chapter 5. Chapter 5, we just got into it. Uh, going verse by verse in, in John. So hope to have you uh, Sunday morning with us. Brother Tomas. Would you close this out in a word of prayer, sir?